while believers should never reduce their worship experience only to singing, there has always been a strong connection between worship and music. Today, on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah examines that connection with the musical tour of the Old Testament as he continues his series on worship, My Heart's Desire. To introduce today's message, The Endless Song of Worship, here's David. Well, there are many ways that you can outline the Bible. Uh, I've often thought that you could start with Adam and Eve in the Old Testament and just connect all of the people from Genesis to Revelation, and you'd cover most of it. But you can also outline the Bible according to music, according to worship. You will be surprised if you listen today and tomorrow at how many times worship pops up, even in the Old Testament, and what we can learn from the worship of God's people. We'll get at it in just a moment, but first, if you haven't already done so, we would like to encourage you to send your gift to Turning Point for September. Your gift helps us with the cost of airtime and production. Turning Point is now on over 3,000 radio stations here in the United States and all around the world, and we can't do it without you. If you don't help us, we, we can't do it. So thank you ahead of time, and to thank you in a tangible way, we'd love to send you the moving Mountains 2023 Turning Point Calendar. We make this available in September so that you will be able to have it. It's a 14-month calendar that begins in November, and you can begin to fill in the information on your calendar and have it all ready for the changing of the seasons. It's beautifully done. You will love this calendar. It is, well, if if you're like me, you love the mountains, and this captures the beauty of the mountains and reminds you that God is the God of the mountains. He created them for our enjoyment, and they're there to remind us of His great majesty and power. Be sure to ask for your calendar when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of September. Let's get started now with this discussion of the endless song of worship. We're going to begin to explore just very briefly the relationship between worship and music. The Old Testament is a rich, rich background of information on the song which is endless in the heart of a person who was a believer. Throughout the Bible, words that are related to praise and singing and music appear some 575 times. References to music are found in 44 of the 66 books of the Bible. In fact, one entire book made up of 150 chapters is believed to have been a Jewish hymn book. We call it the Book of Psalms. It is quite interesting to me that there is more said about praise in the Bible than about prayer. And maybe it should be that way because singing is in some respects a unique expression of the image of God in man. Think of it for a moment. Only man, as the creature of God, can communicate with organized language through the sounds of pitch and duration and harmony. However many of you think you have a dog that can sing, I tell you there is no animal that can sing like the human being that was created by God as an instrument of praise. In fact, Christianity is the only one of the world's religions that is musical. All of the other religions of the world moan and groan, but only Christians can truly sing as we understand it. 
Of course, music has been with us since the very creation itself. Job chapter 38 and verse 7 tells us that when creation took place, the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. And the song has continued throughout the years, being punctuated here and there by great outbursts of praise from heaven, like the night on the hills outside of Bethlehem when the angels came to announce to the shepherds that Jesus Christ was to be born. And it is music that will occupy our attention throughout all eternity. As someone has said, nobody dreams of music in hell and nobody conceives of heaven without it. The dominant theme of our song in heaven will be that of Revelation 4.11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Heaven, you see, is the ultimate homeland of music. No wonder John Newton wrote that last verse to his famed song, Amazing Grace, and he penned these words, When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Think of it. When you have been in heaven for a thousand years, and you have sung every song that you have ever heard in your life a thousand times, you still have as much time ahead of you as you've experienced behind you because in heaven there is no such thing as time. There is only the endless eternities. One of the reasons why music has been so signally blessed by the Lord in my estimation is the fact that it has been such an effective teacher over the years. Most of us can still remember today the biblical concepts that we learned while we were in Sunday school. We learned choruses like, Jesus loves me, this I know. And some of these choruses and some of the words from these choruses, if we could truly learn them, would change major problems in our world today. What would happen if everyone would really believe what they learned when they were growing up in Sunday school, that Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the children of the world. I remember when I was a young boy and was in Sunday school given words to memorize and one of the verses I was supposed to memorize was Galatians 2.20. I don't know why, but that verse was always hard for me. Then one day I went to a youth camp. I will never forget it. Someone had written a chorus called Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I didn't sing it for you, but while I was saying it to you, I played the melody over in my head because through the melody, I remembered the words. One of the last ones to come out of China, having written a book about Chinese communism, was a man who said that during his long period of imprisonment there, he was at the center where the government training was taking place for the training of new Chinese cadres. And he said there were some 75 to 100 of these young people who were being trained to be Chinese communists. And he observed from his viewpoint in the prison that the mornings were spent in study, but the afternoons and the evenings were spent in music and in singing. 
the leader had no instrument other than a pitch pipe but he would sing a phrase and they would sing it after him then he would teach them another phrase and they would sing it and he would teach them the melody then he would go back in the evening and put the words with the melodies and in the evidence that he was able to bring together during his time as a prisoner there this writer said that China was literally singing herself into the communist ideology music is a great teacher one of the reasons why I love gospel music, the repetition of scriptural truths, is that I know that long after we may have forgotten to sing the chorus, the truths of the Word of God will be embedded in our soul because there's a special container down there somewhere that keeps track of the things we learn to sing. No wonder Andrew Fletcher once wrote, give me the making of the songs of a nation and I care not who makes its laws. What we sing ultimately becomes who we are. And as you take a broad sweep of history from the Old Testament, there are volumes of things to learn about music and worship that will benefit all of us. And I want to take you on a little brief journey. It won't be a long one, but it will be an interesting one as we review the place of music in the Old Testament. It begins in the 15th chapter of the book of Exodus. The first major song of the Old Testament scripture. It came at a great moment of victory in the life of God's people. All of us know the story of the crossing of the Red Sea, how Moses, under the hand of God, came to the edge of the sea, and the Egyptians were behind, and the Red Sea was before, and Moses stretched out his hand across the water, and the Lord opened it up, and the Israelites marched through on dry ground, and the Egyptians were coming hot after them, and just as they got into the middle of the Red Sea, the waters crashed down upon them, and the Egyptians were killed, and the Jews were saved. And after they got to the other side, and they kind of settled down a little bit, Moses said, this needs a song. And so he sat down and he wrote a song about the deliverance of the people of Israel. It's the first major song. It actually takes up the first 21 verses of Exodus chapter 15. And we haven't time to read the whole psalm, but let me just give you the refrain. This is the chorus that they sang after all the verses, I'm convinced. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake saying, I will sing unto the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he hath thrown into the sea. What a great song to remember what God had done. And let me just add, if you're brave enough to read verses 20 and 21, Moses' sister Miriam got quite carried away, and the scripture says she led the women of the group in a little liturgical dance along with tambourines. Hmm. The second major song in the Old Testament was the book of Judges. Strange place for a song, but in the fifth chapter of Judges, we meet a woman by the name of Deborah, the first female songwriter of the Bible. Deborah was the judge over Israel during the time of the Judges. She, along with a friend, went to war against Canaan, King Jabin, and they won a miraculous victory over the Canaanites. And when they were all finished, Deborah wrote a song for the people of Israel to sing together. It takes up the entire fifth chapter of Judges, but the 31st verse of that chapter seems to be the refrain, and here's what it says. So let all thine enemies perish, O Lord, but let them that love him be as the sun which goeth forth in his might. Oh, the beauty of poetic expression. 
And she led the people of God as they sang in worship to the Lord for his great deliverance. And then there was a great song of deliverance when David brought the ark back and placed it in the center of the worship of God's people. First Chronicles chapter 15 tells that story. This has always been one of my favorite stories because David learned so much about the working of God. He tried to bring the ark back once and he did it wrong, remember? He put it on a cart and on the way back one of the guides reached out and touched the cart and he was fried right on the spot. He died. And David was so incensed about that he decided that he was going to abandon the ark project for a while. And the ark went and stayed in the house of a man by the name of Obed-Edom. And after David heard that the house of Obed-Edom was being blessed because of the presence of the ark, David decided to go back and bring it to Jerusalem. And this time he did it right. And the scripture records in 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 16 that David appointed certain ones to be singers with instruments of music, psalteries and harps and cymbals, sounding by lifting up the voice with joy. And verses 27 and 28 add, And Kenaniah, the master of the song, the worship leader among David's people, with the singers, with shouting, and with the sound of the cornet, and with trumpets, and with cymbals, making a noise with psalteries and harps. And 1 Chronicles chapter 16 tells us that David appointed certain Levites to produce music for this occasion so that they might thank and praise the Lord. And David wrote a rather lengthy song which was given to Asaph, the music leader, and the psalm is recorded in its full in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 8 through 36. Two whole chapters taken up with the kind of music that was orchestrated that would be fitting for that moment when the ark was brought back to Jerusalem and enshrined there for the people of God as a place of worship. And then there was a song of worship when David's son Solomon was coronated as king. You'll find that in 1 Kings chapter 1 verses 39 and 40. We may not have time to turn there, but let me just read it to you and you will see what I'm talking about. On the day when King Solomon was made king of Israel, this is what we read. And Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon and they blew the trumpet and all the people said, God save King Solomon. And all the people came up after him and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy. This is the part I like. So that the earth was rent with the sound of them. There was so much noise in praising God when King Solomon was coronated king that the earth shook from all of it. For all of you who are given to silence, you are going to have major problems with the Old Testament worship styles. <laughs> well, the central passage in the Old Testament, I'm convinced, in public worship is the passage that talks about the time when Solomon dedicated the temple of the Lord. And there are two major passages, one which is rather astounding to me, and the other which kind of fleshes out all that happened on that occasion. The first passage is in 1 Chronicles 23 and verse 5. It says in this verse that, moreover, there were 4,000 who were porters, and 4,000 praised the Lord's with instruments which I made, said David, to praise therewith. Can you comprehend a 4,000-voice choir? But can you imagine being present in a service where 4,000 voices and instruments were lifted to God in praise? Let me tell you a little bit more about that. Turn in your Bibles to 
Second Chronicles chapter 5 and verses 11 and following, and there you will find a detailed expression of how this took place. You talk about orchestrating a service to give thanks to the Lord for his greatness in this huge temple that had been built unto his name. I wish I could have been there, but just reading it is almost like being there. Second Chronicles chapter 5 verse 11, and it came to pass... When the priests were come out of the holy place, also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Hermon, of Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, they stood at the east end of the altar, and with them an hundred and twenty priests sounding with trumpets. And it came to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord that when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord saying for he is good for his mercy endureth forever then the house was filled with a cloud even the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Wow. The praise and worship to God that day was so great in Solomon's temple that the scripture says that a cloud came inside the building and just flooded the building so that the priests who were doing the ministry about the things of God couldn't see what they were doing. And the Bible says that that cloud was the visible presence of the glory of God that visited the people of God on that day when 4,000 voices and 120 trumpets lifted up to God the praise and worship to Jehovah, which was so deserving. Man, we have tasted that, haven't we? When the worship and praise of God is so magnificent, so majestic, that God visits his people and his glory fills his house. That ought to be the appetite of every believer. Now, the choir in that day was a very interesting organization. I want to just take a few moments to give you some of this background information. The Bible tells us that the choir in the time of this dedication of Solomon's temple made up of 4,000 singers was literally 24 choirs made up of 150 singers that were organized under the instruction of the Lord in Davidic praise. And here's the way it worked. There were 24 mini choirs and they were spread out throughout all of Israel. As you know the Old Testament, you know that there was a very strong affinity between the priests and the Levites. The priests who ministered the things of the Lord and those who related in worship. They were both alike together in ministry, considered of equal responsibility importance by Jehovah God. And wherever you went across the land of Israel during those days, there was a special city where the Levites and the priests lived. And they were positioned throughout all the land so that there would be musical representation throughout all of Israel. Here was a Levitical leader with his 150 voice choir. And according to Josephus, the Old Testament historian, the 24 leaders literally lived in Jerusalem in the housing that surrounded Solomon's temple. And they coordinated all the music from central and then they would go out to the places where their singers were and they would be coordinated in lyrics and in music and liturgy. And uh, they drew lots every year because each of the 24 groups had a two-week period when they were allowed to lead worship in the temple of Solomon. 
And so if you came to the Lord's house on the Sabbath day, you would notice that one team of singers was leaving while another team was moving in to take their place. And they each had two weeks during the year when they could lead worship. Now there were 50 weeks in the Jewish year, not like ours. So if 24 teams each had two weeks, that means there were 48 weeks consumed with the visiting music leaders from all over Israel. I'm sure they had a great variety in the way that they worshiped God. But that leaves two weeks in the Jewish calendar when no one is scheduled. And that's very interesting because those two weeks were the two weeks of the celebration of the three major feasts of Israel. And on those two weeks, all 4,000 of them were in Jerusalem together. And all of these groups that had led worship throughout the year would come together. And now, since they had been coordinated and they knew the lyrics and they knew the songs and they knew the liturgy, they would come together and on the Feast of Passover, they would fill the temple with the glory of God as all 4,000 of them gave praise and honor and glory to the Lord. What a magnificent thing. Massive praise to God. Because he is good and his mercy endureth forever. One man has said that it is probable that during this time there were over 200,000 Jewish people who had been trained in music. And there were several, some 288 special teaching teams that rotated around the 24 groups through the year, refreshing them and teaching them and helping them to know how they could grow in their ability to praise God. It was the very center of Jewish faith and religion because praise was so important. There was massive praise when Nehemiah came back after he had been taken from his people and he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Remember that story in the book of Nehemiah, how they came back, the walls had been torn down and Nehemiah helped to build them up and when they got the walls all built up, if you get a chance sometime, read the 12th chapter of Nehemiah. There's a whole section in there about how at the dedication of the wall, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals and psalteries and with harps. It's interesting that as you study the Old Testament and you read through the Bible and you study spiritual revival in the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, there is always an association of music. It's incredible. In fact, D.L. Moody said that he observed that music and song have not only accompanied all scriptural revivals, but are essential in deepening one's spiritual life. Singing does at least as much as preaching to impress the word of God upon people's minds, wrote Moody. Ever since God called me, the importance of praise expressed in song has grown up in my heart. If you've ever studied the life of D.L. Moody, you know that he had a great singer who worked with him, Ira Sankey, and they did great things as they worked together in the preaching and the singing of God's praises. Well, I don't know if there are a lot of pastors who love music as much as I do, but there couldn't be too many because in my heart, music is as important as what I do. Um, what happens in the services of Shadow Mountain Church reflect our commitment to excellence in the worship of God. We are so blessed to have uh, key people like Tobin Davis and Michael Sanchez and others who stand with us in this 
commitment, and I hope you are blessed in your church with people who understand the importance of worship. I often tell people when I grew up, worship used to be called the song service, and it's what you did while you were waiting for all the people who came late to get there so they could hear the sermon. Uh, I changed my mind about that pretty rapidly when I began to study what the Bible says about worship. And we're going to talk about that uh, tomorrow. Um, Please be with us as we finish up this two-part discussion of the Endless Song of Worship. Don't forget to get your calendar, which is available only in the month of September. It's for November and December of this year and all of 2023. Uh, The theme this year is Moving Mountains. You can imagine the grace and the beauty and majesty of the photography in this particular calendar. I hope you will order your copy today when you send your gift to Turning Point. Send your gift and simply say, send me the calendar. It's on its way. And we'll see you right here tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, My Heart's Desire, please visit our website. There you will also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2023, Moving Mountains, filled with inspiring scriptures and images to encourage you in your walk. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Available in several handsome cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, My Heart's Desire, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Do you have faith that moves mountains? Turning Point's Moving Mountains 2023 calendar will remind you of the power of faith. With monthly scriptures and a Bible reading plan, this 14-month calendar will help you stay organized and grow in the Lord. The Moving Mountains calendar is yours with a gift of any amount to the ministry. And when you give $100 or more, we'll send you five calendars, perfect for sharing with family and friends. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. All of us spend more time and effort on some tasks than we do on others. But after reading the quote I'm about to share, I've thought more about how I do what I do. 
The quote is this, if you say you don't have time to do a task right the first time, why do you think you'll have time to do it over? That reminds me of how expert carpenters work. They take time to measure twice, so they only have to cut once. And it makes me think of God. Though He exists outside of time, He still has done everything perfectly. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's perspective on excellence on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.